Well, we made a commitment uh, at the start of this month that we would talk honestly and openly uh, from God's word about this whole idea of love and sex and dating and, and how God fits into all that and something that can seem seemingly unspiritual. We've explored the last couple of weeks. Uh, actually, some of the most spiritually occupying thoughts and, and realities of our life because we devote more of our heart and our soul and our thoughts and our actions to trying to understand each other and have healthy relationships and healthy dating relationships and healthy marriages. And so this thing actually is more spiritual than we think, and God has a lot more to say about it than we might imagine. And so we committed to this week uh, talking about what I think can be one of the most complicated and, and stress-related areas when it comes to the opposite sex, and that is the opposite sex. <laughs> like just their very being can be so complicated and so confusing, whether you are single or dating or, or been married for a long time, right? For those of you who've been married for a long time, you still are perplexed that this person can act this way or that they do this thing. Like, it's, it doesn't necessarily change, and so we want to explore where God is at in the midst of that, because all of us at some level have experienced some form of frustration when it comes to the opposite sex, right? We've been, had our hearts broken at some level, or we've broken some hearts. I mean, every one of us here, right? Every one of us here at some level has hit a wall or has felt some level of frustration or disappointment or confusion when it comes to how we relate to the opposite sex. And for many of us, the last thing we thought to do or would think to do would be to invite God into that reality. But that's exactly what we want to do tonight, because this stuff isn't new. You guys, like... This stuff, whether you're married or single or dating, we've been doing this stuff since, like, schoolyard days. Like, the game really hasn't changed all that much. Yeah, I remember the first time in my life when I started to recognize that boys and girls had, like, a, a distinct way that they related to each other, and it was different than how, like, the little girls played with the little girls and the little boys played with the little boys. I remember in kindergarten, uh, Mrs. Ormsby's kindergarten class, and my kindergarten teacher, she had the room set up in such a way where there was all these different stations, okay? There was, like, an art station, and there was a music station. There was, like, a place where all the trucks were if you wanted to explore being a trucker one day, and there was, like, a little bank if you wanted to think about being a bank teller one day. And, and I think what she was trying to do was trying to help us figure out, you know, like what we enjoyed and what we wanted to do and what we were good at. And there was also a little corner in the room where there was this make-believe house. And you could go into the make-believe house and there was a little kitchen in there and there was like a little bedroom and stuff. And I remember uh, playing one day with a bunch of my little friends in kindergarten. And we were playing with, the, you know, the, the babies and the kitchen and all this kind of stuff. And this little boy walked in, and his name was Steve Sullivan. And Steve Sullivan walked right up to me, and I was over by the, by the sink, and he walked up to me, and he said, you are going to be my wife. <laughs> and you are going to wash the dishes, and you are going to clean our house, and then you're going to take care of our baby. And I remember looking at Steve Sullivan, and I remember thinking like, I don't think this is what Mrs. Ormsby intended for our little playtime here. And so I took it upon myself to inform Steve Sullivan of who I was. And so I said to him in a very you know, calm, five-year-old tone, Steve, I am not going to be your wife. I am not going to wash these imaginary dishes. I'm certainly not going to take care of that ugly doll over there that you are calling our baby because I am a five-year-old confident young woman and I don't need a man to define myself. <laughs> and, and, 
<laughs> poor Steve Sullivan, his eyes got all big, and I think he went out to the truck section, you know, to, to play over there. But, you know, I remember, like, trying to figure out, like, all of this relating thing and, you know, how boys and girls relate to one another. And, and, and the thing is, is as much as we're drawn to one another and as much as there's this chemistry and this unbelievable, like, desire to understand the opposite sex, there's also an incredible tension, isn't there? Because we're so unbelievably different. When you think about it, just physically and emotionally and relationally and socially and intellectually, the way we pursue life and go about life is utterly different. So, of course, there is going to be tensions. And Jarrett and I, we've been married for 15 years this August, and we have discovered, yes, over, over those years, we have a few differences, um, just a few minor ones. And, uh, like, like, for example... Um, this is one of the things that is very fascinating to me about how we relate to one another. It's just, it's just fascinating. I don't have any commentary on this, but it's just fascinating. Uh, so, like, when Jarrett will tell me something, like, he'll, he'll tell me something, I usually register in my mind, he wants me to remember this, so I'm going to lodge it in my brain, and I'm going to decide to remember what he just told me. It's totally different with him, Okay. I will tell him something, and he's informed me that he has a much larger head and a much larger brain. There's a lot going on. Yeah, and that there's just a lot of things to process up there. And so if I tell him something, oftentimes what will happen is I I notice it just sort of goes in, and I don't know where it goes. It just sort of starts, I think, to like float around somewhere. And I'll come back and ask him, like, hey, babe, do you remember, you know, we were supposed to do this thing? And there's literally, like, a glare that comes over his face as if I had never said anything. And so there's this area of listening that we just, we do differently. It's different that way. Right. We do it differently. It's not a value statement. It's not a value statement at all. It's just very different. I just wanted to be clear about that. Okay, good. It's very, very different. Uh, Another area where we're different is in how we solve problems. And I've noticed with Jarrett, when he, when there's a problem, like he'll look at it literally like a math equation. It's like one plus one equals two. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Let's do it. When I see a problem, I feel like we should talk about it. And I feel like we should discuss it a little bit. We should maybe feel something about the problem and and relate to it a bit, you know, maybe just sort of like spend some time together, maybe hold hands a bit, ask maybe, what, what might God be saying to us in this problem? How could we solve it together? And I find it as a time to like develop our intimacy and our relationship and to grow with one another. Yeah. And he's just like, babe, here's the problem. Let's because, solve yeah, it and let's move on. I just going to pick Elijah up from school. I'm really Right, not, right, it's yeah. Not, it's not that... This shouldn't be hard. There's two of us in one car. Right. So, so, the, so these are just some of our, our differences in how we relate to one that's another. Right. Just These are observations. Right. Observations, yes. And so that's funny because I knew when we were working on this time for, for this weekend, I knew that I needed to find some things about Jeannie, you know, that, you know, that we did differently or she didn't do as well as I did. And um, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't come up with any, Jean. That's I just... <laughs> 
I mean, if if I had to come up with one, right, right, right. I mean, just because because just some minor ones, right? If I had to, they're very small things. But I remember honestly, one of the first things, and it's very very small. For those of you who are married, you kind of know this thing, like. I don't know if on earth, while we're in these physical forms, we will ever get our body temperatures within 50 degrees of each other. <laughs> I just don't know if it's physically possible because I love to keep things like a cool 70 degrees no matter where I am or what's going on. Like, I like to keep it cool. I like to keep the air conditioning on at all times. And, you know, Jeannie's like constantly putting blankets on to kind of like give me signals. Like, it's freezing in here and we're in the car. Like, why do I even have blankets in the car? And so it's very, it's very clear. Like, we just cannot seem to see eye to eye on that one. We just do it differently. That's just sort of how we're like literally you know, physically wired, we do that differently. I think, um, you know, another one for us, again, if I had to, I think um, there's something about, and this I think is true for most guys, certainly not all the guys in this room. For most of us, I have this skill that I learned somewhere along the way that I was convinced that I would need where I can wake up, get showered, get dressed, and get out the door in 15 minutes. And I take pride in that, as though it's a drill that's going to pay off one day, as though I'm going to be needed to put that to use one day, where suddenly there's going to be an emergency outside and I have to get up, shower, get dressed, and get out the door in 15 minutes. Now, my wife is on a different schedule. (laughs) Things take a different amount of time for her. So things take longer, and and there's more steps involved, and there's tools that I don't even know about, honestly, that are involved. And I'm just like, I don't, what stage are we in right now? It feels like we should be in the fourth stage right now. Like, and so we just have to sort of give ourselves some different time. They're just differences. It's observations. They're not value statements. They're just differences. So obviously we could go on and say, you know, a bunch of stuff about guys are tend to be this and girls tend to be this. We're not going to spend a a ton of time doing that because this is this identity thing and this sort of who we are and how we relate to each other thing is not just a female thing it's not just a male thing it's not just a single thing it's not just a married thing it is a human being thing all of us at some level come up against the differences and they can be at times if we're not careful um, complications they can be at times even roadblocks to how we relate to the opposite sex and that's not just what's going on out there we do these things internally in our own head as well. And if you've noticed, for those of you who are single, and you've watched what happens to someone's identity when they get into a relationship, things change, don't they? Like this person that you knew when you were literally just hanging out with like a week ago, now that they're in this serious relationship, like they're different and you don't see them anymore. And they have like relational amnesia. You know, like you'll bump in and be like, hey dude, we should be hanging out. You're like, yeah, and you are... (laughs) because I feel like I know you. It's on the tip of my tongue. And like you've seen that happen, right? With your friends who've gotten into relationships, they just go off the grid, don't they? And it can be like Noah's Ark. It's just like everyone seems to be pairing up two by two and going somewhere else. And you're left standing by yourself and it looks like it's starting to rain. Like it can feel that way. It can feel that way. And so, so many times, so many times what ends up happening is our identity and who we are gets put in jeopardy or gets put up on the altar of how we relate to someone else. And in fact, it can become at times contingent on someone else, either a specific someone that we have or a someone that we want. And we're willing to do all kinds of things to who we are to hope to be able to relate to this person that is actually fundamentally different and distinct and unique from who you are. And I've seen it so many times. I've seen folks give their identity to someone else, or they'll change parts of who they are to try and win someone else. And the crazy thing is that there's this hope that in this relationship they'll find a new identity. But here's the reality. When it comes to you and me and other people, there's not a person on this planet that can give you an identity. 
but there are plenty of people who can take yours. There's not a single person who can give you that meaning or that thing that you hope you can be. Only God can do that. And he already has. He has already given you a unique and distinct personality, a unique and distinct thing that is very male about you, a unique and distinct thing that's very female about you. That identity has already been given to you by God. It is not something that you are going to find in someone else. It's just not. And so what we need to do is we actually need to go all the way back to the garden to understand where that identity comes from, to understand who it is that we are patterned after. And I just want to read a passage to you real quick. Uh, it's found in Genesis 1. It's, it's in the very first chapter of the Bible. And it says this, Then God said, Let us make people in our image. So he's talking Father, Son, Spirit, the, the creators, okay? Let us make people in our image to be like ourselves. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. And so this is, this is the clue to what our truest identity is. We are created in the image of God. And so you and I, male and female, are patterned after God. We are, we are patterned after God. We are modeled after God. God. And so in the middle of all of our complexity, in the middle of all of our tension, in the middle of trying to understand the opposite sex, there's actually good news right in the middle of it. It is the fact that both man and woman are patterned after God, who is a perfect, loving being. So it's a place where we can actually find commonality. And so what we're going to do tonight is explore some of those places, again, wherever you're at, to get a vision of God that is greater than maybe what we had previously. Because here, here's the reality, and this is, just, this is just true, and honestly, like, put this down because I feel like I've found this to be true by doing it the wrong way so many times in my life. How I see myself, and this is coming right out of what Jeannie read in Genesis 126 and 27, how I see myself so often affects how I look at others, determines how I looked at others. And all of that, all of that is connected to my vision of God. Mm. So the greater my vision of God, the more I'm able to recognize that God has actually created me, that there are glimpses of God in who I am. The greater my vision of God and the more I'm able to see myself more clearly, the greater and the better chance I have of seeing that reflection of God in you or calling that out in you. Or expecting that in you and not settling for anything less. Listen, the greater my vision of God, the more the greater my vision of God is going to determine how I see myself and how I look at others. So what we want to do is root ourselves as much as possible in who God has actually created you to be. Not who someone else says you are, wants you to be, or you want to be for them. So we're going to do that by looking at a very interesting story. We're going to look at the story of an Old Testament character, and this may not at all be uh, the sort of story that you would have chosen for uh, a look at identity and seeing God for who God is, seeing ourselves for who we are, seeing others for who they are. We're going to look at the story of a character named Samson in the Bible. Now, Samson it was one of my favorite characters as a kid kind of growing up around the Bible. My son loves the story of Samson because Samson is this character of great strength, in the Bible. And there's stories of him like literally ripping lions in half. 
lions in half, which is like for my son, he's like, dad, like, is there a movie about this? How can we watch this? I want to see this more. And so we're going to look at this character of Samson and what is unique and interesting about him and how his identity comes into play and even really honestly um, gets lost in the pursuit of someone else. And his vision of God diminishes greatly over the course of his story. But let me give you a little context, a little background about who Samson is, because you may or may not be familiar with him. The Bible tells us that he was a judge that ruled over Israel. So this is sort of like a prophet and kind of like a king that ruled over Israel in this time where there was no kings. And so they would come in. There's lots of different ones of them. Samson was one of those judges. But he was very special and very unique. Unlike any of the other judges, he had taken a Nazarite vow, Now, I I know you all know what that is, but this is just for those in the podcast who don't know what that is. The Nazarite vow was this thing that his parents dedicated him to, which was a very intense spiritual way of living. And there were several sort of signs and markers that anyone who took the Nazarite vow would keep for their life. Very, like, strict, like, straight-edge to the max kind of life, okay? Like, puts vegan to shame kind of life, okay? And so one of those things, a couple of those things, were that you didn't cut your hair, And so if you know the story of Samson, you've heard it before, you kind of see where this is going to come into play later. But you don't cut your hair. You grow your hair out. You don't let any knife, any scissors touch your hair. Uh, A couple of the other ones are you don't go around uh, dead animals or carcasses, which, honestly, Nazarite or not, that's just a good rule of thumb. I would just say that (laughs) to you if you want to write that down. Just avoid dead things as much as possible. But that actually comes into play in another part of the story we won't look at tonight where he neglects and forgets that part. And another thing that's interesting, too, is they were not to drink wine or to even have grapes. Now, again, none of those things made them spiritual, but they were signs that they were taking this very devote life of following God. And so what we're going to do is open our Bibles up to uh, Judges chapter 14. So there's a blue Bible in front of you if you want to grab that right now. And you can actually open up to Judges 14, which is page 236 in the blue Bibles. Uh, If you don't have a blue Bible, I have no idea what page it is in your Bible, but... uh, page 236 in the blue Bibles, and we'll just, we say this every week, if you're here tonight and you don't own a Bible, you just don't have one, that Bible you're holding right now is now your Bible. That's our gift to you. Uh, we, want, we believe that our identity is found in God, and we find that written throughout the pages of Scripture. So if you don't have a Bible, that Bible is yours. We're going to read from God's Word right now this story of Samson. Uh, this is in Judges 14, as I mentioned. Uh, we know that he has superhuman strength. And so the Bible makes this great case that he is this really, really, like, crazy superhero strong kind of person. Ridiculously strong. You don't rip lions in half without being that kind of strong, right? And I think for my whole life, and the pictures that I always saw drawn of him as a kid, and that I imagined him as a kid, is this super huge, like, ripped, like, you know, totally bulging, roiding out, like, kind of character. But honestly, I don't think that's what he looked like. I think he probably looked more and more like you and me. Probably looked more like your ninth grade algebra teacher. Like my sense is that if he were all beefed up and that kind of stuff, then it would be easy to assume that his strength came from himself. But that's not the point that God is making in his story. His strength was supernatural. God gave him supernatural strength. And my hunch is he was just sort of like you and I, had taken the Nazarite vow and was set apart. And so he is uh, this super strong guy in the story of the Bible, but he has a super weakness. And that is women. He has a major blind side, a major weakness. It's his kryptonite, if you will, is women. And so we're going to show you a couple examples of that as he loses sight of who God is and who he's created to be. Yeah, so we're going to start in Judges 14, and we're going to start at verse 1. It says this. So Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, 
I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. He's very bold. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. So just to interrupt here in the story, and we'll keep going in a second. You can see that they have a very romantic beginning to their relationship, okay? This is a great way to start all relationships. Just tell your parents, get her for me, and, you know, I'm sure it's going to go very far. But So despite this romantic beginning to this relationship, uh, Samson says to his parents, this is who I want. They get it all set up, and then what ends up happening is they get to the altar, and Samson ends up not marrying her. He ends up walking away, essentially. And you can go on into the story, and in Judges 16, you can fast forward a little bit. It tells us that instead of marrying this woman, that what Samson does is he actually goes out and he sleeps with a prostitute. So, which is, you know, utterly classy, right? Okay? And and so, literally, this is Samson and what has already happened in his life, in his relationships with women. Right, so this is a person set apart for our God or the unique identity, and we already see two women in the story so far, and he's about to meet his third. And so uh, the Bible tells us, if you move on, Judges 16, verse 4, that he meets a woman named Delilah, who's also a Philistine. Now, it should be noted at this point that the Philistines were the arch enemy of the people of God. And we know the story, right? If you know the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was a, was a Philistine. So these folks had a lot of encounters with the people of God. And so here is Samson, a ruler of the people of God, falling in love with not one, but two Philistines. And so you can see what's beginning to happen to his vision of God and his vision of who God created him to be. This is Judges 16, verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek. And I'm going to hit pause right there. Now, what's interesting about this Valley of Sorek is it's known for its fertile land and for its many vineyards. In fact, it's been called the Valley of Grapes. And so here we see, once again, this guy who had made this vow to God, had set himself apart by God, had this unique identity, part of it not being, you know, touch, not touching grapes, not drinking wine. And here he is in this valley of grapes. And this woman's name is Delilah, verse 5. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So basically the Philistine mafia comes in and pays her off to say, look, if you can seduce him, let us know where his strength comes from because ultimately we want to defeat him and we want to defeat these people of God. So if you jump down a little bit further into this chapter, verse 16, it says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So she's trying to figure out what it is There's about no men that have ever felt that way. No, in this room. no, this no. is the first woman that has nagged no. and probably the last. Um, and it goes on to say that she, t- so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. So Samson, essentially, he gives up the information about what it is that makes his identity so unique in God. This vow that he had, he had made before God, he gives it up because of a woman. You see what happens. Jump down to verse 19. We see Samson finally lose the last 
ounce of his God-given identity to this woman, Delilah. Verse 19, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so they began to subdue him, and his strength left him. And the story plays out to where they overpower him, and they make a mockery of him and a mockery of God. And his story ends uh, far more tragic than it does heroic. Uh, This person who had been so set apart by God, had such a unique identity, in fact, had dedicated his life to a big vision of a big God. The more and more he interacts with the opposite sex, with women, whatever it is, in his story, Hmm. he begins to lose sight of that and lose sight of who he is and honestly loses sight of their value in God all along the way. The story plays out in his life no different than it does in our own. Hmm. And and Samson, it's such a, it's such a, a beautiful picture of, of God saying, I have something special for you. I have this unique identity for you. It's very distinct. It's very special. It's just for you. I have this marked for your life. And, and it was set apart. It was, it was given to him by God. And he was given this incredible strength. And it was ultimately to be used for, for God's glory and for God's purposes. But you see what happens along the way. Samson lost perspective, right? I mean, he, he utterly lost perspective. Samson lost clarity because he, he saw a woman, he wanted that woman, and it lost the clarity for, for him of what God intended for his life. Samson, ultimately along the way, forgot who he was too. He forgot how God had created him and, and the importance and, the, and how special he was. He began to enter into relationship after relationship with women that held entirely different values than he had set himself up for. I mean, he, he had had this standard. He had had this desire for what his life was going to look like. And then slowly but surely, he just sort of let those values start to slip. Samson, I think, ultimately was a bit afraid of being alone. And so what happened was he lost himself in relationship time and time again. And so many of us, I think when we look at the story of Samson and, and when we look at this, and, and probably we've heard it, you know, over the years, our first thought is, well, he was a man of great strength, right? You know, he, he could do incredibly amazing things with his strength. This is what God created him for. But actually, what's so interesting about the story of Samson is I actually think it's much more of a story of weakness, And he forgot ultimately, his weakness caused him to forget ultimately his identity in God. Which therefore then kept him from seeing the identity of God in other women. And and the thing about this story is that's our weakness at times too, isn't it? I mean, we look for others to define our identity. We look for someone else to to clarify who we are. If we're not feeling great about ourselves or we're not in a relationship, we think, if I can just just get in a relationship, I'm going to feel better about who I am. Or if I can just get this person to enter my life or or if we can just do this thing, you know, my identity will feel better. And, And we think that it will give us strength, but what it does is it actually draws us into greater weakness. You see, how we see ourselves determines how we look at others. And ultimately, that always comes back to our view and our vision of God. And Jeannie's right. I mean, I've seen this. We've seen this. I've done this where 
I have such a small vision of God that it directly affects not only how I see myself, but how I see others. And, and I've seen this in lots of folks who just can't uh, be alone. They have to be in a relationship. They're, so, so I've seen folks in a lot of different ways um, just sort of move from relationship to relationship because they're so afraid of who they might be when they're alone. Or I've seen folks stay in really unhealthy relationships or go nowhere relationships because they're just they're they're so convinced that their identity is tied up in this person. And again, remember, there's not a single person on earth who can give you your identity. There's plenty who can take it. And yet I've seen friends, I've seen it in my own life where they stay and this person doesn't share the same values as them. This person doesn't like, is not going in the same direction as them. I mean, we saw this again and again in Samson's life. None of those women, whether it was the first Philistine, the prostitute, the second Philistine, none of those women were going to help him continue to live out the unique vision God had for his life. And I've seen folks, the longer and longer and longer they stay in those relationships or keep hopping to those relationships for fear of being alone or whatever it is. I mean, it has direct effect on how you see yourself and how you see others, and it has direct effect on your view of God in the midst of it. And it's not just for those that are in dating relationships. This works itself out in marriages, too, Uh, this whole idea of identity. And oftentimes what happens is we stop looking at our own identity, we stop working on our own identity, and we think, if I can just fix this person... If I can just get this person, you know, that's, I love them and they're my partner and they're great, but just these few little tweaks, if we can just work this out, if I can just help them, you know, get around this corner, if I can just, you know, move this thing in their life, if this can get a little bit better, then everything's going to be okay. What happens is we stop focusing on our true identity and who God created us to be, and we start to try to shift the identity of the person that, that we made this vow that we love so much, we start to to try to manipulate and to change them. I know that this has been a tension in our own marriage that we've had to work on, and, and more for me than, than for Jared, where oftentimes it'll be easier for me to just sort of not have to focus on myself or not work on things that God is asking me to work on, and, and it's easier for me to look at some, some flaws or some areas in Jared's life where I think, if, well, if he just did this better, then we would be better. And I'm sure I'm, I'm probably the only one in the room that's ever done that. So um, you can tell your other friends that struggle with that too. Uh, but it becomes this tension where we don't continue to grow ourselves and we inflict pain on somebody else because we're afraid to look at our own unique identity. We've seen it. I've seen it in folks who are single and so desperate to be in a relationship that they... Um, you know, sort of hawk their identity to whoever will take it, and they'll do whatever they need to do. And they'll, they'll change who they are, you know? And, like, you're with them, you're like, why are you acting so weird? Oh, there's girls here. Like, you know, it's just, you can, you can see it, right? Silly stuff like that. And then there's deeper stuff where they'll change the, the way they act or the way they dress. Uh, they'll change um, the way they treat their body what they eat or won't eat. Um, it's amazing the level of which folks will go down some, some pretty dark paths all in this hope to sort of win the acceptance or affection of someone else and, and someone to affirm their identity when the reality that we saw in that very first verse written all the way in the very beginning of the Bible is that your identity has already been given to you by God. It's not a guy or a girl in the world that can do that. It's already been established. 
And guys, I've, I've seen on the flip side of not just what we do to ourselves, but what we do to women when our view of God gets smaller and our view of ourselves gets lost, just like Samson. The effect is it doesn't just hurt us, guys. It hurts others. And one of the biggest ways you see this is when you see someone who has a diminished view of themselves or diminished view of women, guys, is um, the way you do, uh, that you look at women and the way that you check them out or eye them up when they're running by um, on the beach or when, they're, when you're just driving by them and they're on the sidewalk waiting for the bus, when it's a person at work, when it's a server at a restaurant, when it's someone here at Soul City. And the way that you sort of uh, check her out, what you're subconsciously doing, whether you realize it or not, is you're ascribing value to her based on your terms, based on your sexual desires. And so in an instant of just a look that's so quick, that's what's going on. You're not seeing her as a daughter of God. You're seeing her as an object for your sexual desires. That's what's really going on. And guys, the thing is this, is you think you're sly. And you think they don't know. And the sad truth is, is they know more than you do, and they put up with it more than you would imagine. Guys, we can do better than that. That's not what God created you for, and that's certainly what not, God did not create her for that, for you. It goes back to the, the jokes that you tell, the way you talk about women, guys, the way you speak about them as, as objects or as something less than a daughter of God. Anytime you do that, you're revealing your own diminished vision of God and in a way your own devalued perspective of who you are and who they are. You know, one of the biggest ways that affects how you talk about women is what you listen to about women. And there are uh, songs that you have like on your iPod right now that speak horribly about women. And you've memorized them and, and can say them and I'm just as guilty and why do you think, why do you think you have a diminished, devalued perspective of women? It's because that's what you're hearing. That's what you're hearing and bringing in. And every time you do, you either hear it or you say it, or the way that you look at women, you are, in a way, choosing and determining their worth based on your terms. And I just think, I just think, guys, we can do better than that. And God has called you to and created you to much more than that. And ladies, we have our own uh, way that we tend to uh, lessen the value and lessen the identity that God has placed on men. Um, I watch it all the time in the games that we play. Um, We are professional game players. And, And we do it through manipulation, and we do it through the things that we say, the things that we intentionally don't say, the messages we put up on Facebook, the text messages that we send, the way that we'll have a guy call us and then we won't return the call because we're trying to send a message and maybe he'll get this and maybe he'll get that. And it's like we're trying to send out Morse code and they do not read Morse code, okay? We barely speak English. <laughs> <laughs> but ladies, it's, it is a form of manipulation. And it is lessening. It's lessening these men that God, have, that God has created in his image. And we can do better than that. We can do better than that. The truth is always better than a game. 
The truth is always better than a game. I see it in the ways that we tend to try to control the situation and control the relationship. As I said, this is, this is one of the primary things. Uh, we've been married for 15 years. We dated three years before that. For 18 years, okay, that's a long time. This continues to be one of the primary ways that God regularly tries to grow me. Ways that I try to be in control, ways that I try to, you know, gain speed, and ways that I try to make things happen so that it'll work in my favor. And, and women, this is not what God intended. He intended you to be confident, but he didn't intend you to need to be in control. Because ultimately, every single time you try to be in control, what's happening is you're not saying that you don't trust this guy. What you're saying is you don't trust God. It's not the guy that is the problem. The problem is your relationship with God. And do you ultimately trust him to be in control of your life? I see it play out, ladies, in the ways that some of us try to dumb ourselves down or the ways that we tend to compromise who God created us to be. I see it in the way that uh, women dress. I see it in the way that we manipulate our bodies. I see it in the eating disorders that we tend to move towards or move away. And these are all ways that we forget our identity and who God created us to be. And it's all in the attempt that a guy will give us our true identity. And he can't do that. He can't ever do that. And who you are is absolutely amazing. Stunning. Drop dead gorgeous as far as I'm concerned. And if you don't allow a guy to define you the way God sees you, let me tell you this. Move along. I'll say it again. Move along. You're amazing, ladies. You're incredible. Unbelievable. I tell people all the time. I tell all of my single guy friends, I'm like, you should come to Soul City. Like, I'm just saying. Um, There are some amazing women here. Amazing. And every time you let a guy define your worth and you start to manipulate your body and change who you are and, you know, play these games for him, you are forgetting who God created you to be and you're amazing. So stop the games and move along. Move along. It's not worth it. It's not worth the pain that it's going to take you through. I remember... um, I was a freshman in high school, and there was this boy that I liked. He was a junior. His name was Don. And um, I'm not going to say his last name because you might find him on Facebook. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I really liked Don. And, and he asked me out. And I was like, whoa, this is a big deal. He's a junior. I'm a freshman. This is pretty cool. And my parents let me go. And that was even a big deal, you know, that they let me go. And, and we went out. And then we went out one more time. And then Don didn't ask me out again. And I was like, what happened? Like, what went wrong? why doesn't he like me anymore? Is there another girl? Is what's going on? You know, and I, I mean, I, I did all of the like studies. I made charts. I made graphs. I tried to figure out. I tried to watch him in the hallways. I mean, the whole nine yards, you know? 
And I remember I was at our, our church and I was talking to, um, I was at youth group one night and I was talking to this woman that was a mentor in my life, an amazing lady, her name was Sandy, and and Sandy and I were talking, and I was like, I don't know what happened. Like, he just didn't ask me out again, and I don't know what's wrong. And maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe he doesn't think I'm pretty. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. And maybe if I just do this, or maybe if I change this. And Sandy was like, stop. Stop right now. Stop right where you're at. And she grabbed her purse, and she rummaged through her purse, and she got her makeup bag out, and she grabbed, like, a little compact. And she grabbed a Sharpie. She opened up the compact. And she started writing on it. I'm like, what is she doing right now? This is so weird. And she wrote at the top of it, you're a babe, love God. She handed it to me. She said, Jeannie, I want you to put this in your purse. And anytime you think about Don or any other boy, and you start to think, maybe I just need to get a little bit more pretty for him to like me. Or maybe I just need to do this for this boy to like me. I want you to take out that compact, and I want you to be reminded, God thinks you're drop-dead gorgeous, and it doesn't matter what Don thinks. And so what I'm going to ask each of us to do is to, boys, you don't have to buy a compact, so don't worry. Um, (laughs) But what I'm going to ask each of us to do this week is to actually spend a few minutes in front of a mirror. And I'm going to ask you to spend 60 seconds, okay? It's only one full minute every single day this week. And for those 60 seconds, for you to ask God to speak to you and for you to ask him this simple question, God, what do you see? What do you see when you look at me? Because my hunch is, God is not going to whisper the same things that the world tends to whisper to us. God is not going to whisper the guy that's on GQ magazine and how you need to look just like him. My hunch is, God is not going to whisper uh, the latest celebrity that you just saw on Access Hollywood because she just broke up with three other guys, okay? So her life isn't all that great anyways. God is not going to whisper, if you just, really, if you just lost five pounds, honey, everything would be okay. I guarantee God will not whisper that to you. But my hunch is, he will probably whisper things like, I love you. I'm proud of you. I've given you distinct and special gifts. You are my son, You are my daughter. You are beautiful. You are lovely. You are special. You are smart. I have a plan for your life. My hunch is those are the things that you're probably going to hear. And so the homework for Soul City this week is we're going to spend a little bit of time in the mirror being reminded of our true identity that can only be found in God. So we're going to invite the band to come back up right now, and we're going to spend a few moments singing about the truth of who God is, uh, telling him how beautiful he is and how wonderful he is and how amazing he is, and hearing from him even already, before we're even in front of the mirror, how much God cares for you and who it is that God has actually intended and created you to be. Now listen, you may be anywhere 
all over the map when it comes to relationship with God or spiritual things. Like this is stuff that we believe to be fundamentally true, that when our view of God is big and as right as we can get it in our lives, it has direct effect on how we see ourselves and how we look at others. They just, those things are inseparable. And so that's why we're gonna spend some time right now looking to God, getting a bigger vision of God for our lives. One of the ways we do that regularly around here is we give back to God. It's just a way that we say thank you to God. It's a way that we acknowledge that God is already at work in our lives and that he has provided for us more than we could possibly imagine. And so when I'm done here praying in a second, we're gonna receive uh, our offering to have that chance to give and we're gonna hear these words and say these words to God of how beautiful he is and to hear his love for us, sung over us for the next few minutes. But let me pray for us uh, while we get ready to do that. God, thank you so much that you are a God who loves, that you are a God who has created us for something special that we may not even be able to verbalize or understand or comprehend on this earth. But God, you have actually created us unique each of us bearing your image, God. Thank you, God, that you created us male and female and that the differences are good and that they remind us and point us back to you. And so, God, I pray that those differences would not be points of defeat for us or points of, God, frustration, but they would lead to greater revelation of who you are, that we would literally see in each other glimpses of you. And, God, I pray that to be true for my marriage, my wife, I pray that to be true for my friends here, wherever they may be at in the relational thing. God, I pray that for our church, that when people interact with this church or folks from this church, that they would see that there's something different about us in the way we see each other, in the way we treat each other, in the way we see ourselves and the unique identity that you've given us, God, that that would be so different from a world who judges and degrades in an instant with a look, with a joke, with a word, that God, people would interact with this church and these folks and see something different. That they would see something beautiful that reflects who you are. God, thank you for how you've loved us. Now receive, God, our small way of saying we love you back to you. Receive these gifts, God, and hear these words. We trust and we pray, our Heavenly Father, amen.